Welcome to Startup Happy Hour, sponsored by Content Allies. Grab a drink and join us to hear fun and inspirational stories from startup founders and visionaries who are making a positive impact in our communities and learn how you too can turn your new and exciting ideas into reality. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Startup Happy Hour. I'm Diana Chen, and I'm here with Ashutosh Priyadarshi. Ashutosh is the founder of Sansama, um, a daily task manager platform that helps people be more productive in their lives. Hey, Ashutosh, how's it going? Pretty good. Good to spend some time talking with you today. Yeah, thanks so much for being here. Really appreciate you giving me your time. So to start things off, why don't you just tell people a little bit more about your company, Sinsama. Yeah. So Sinsama is a daily planner for busy people. And uh, basically what Sinsama does is it guides you each day through the process of planning out your day. Uh, And the nuts and bolts of it are basically we combine your tasks, your emails, your calendars, and all of your different project management tools into one place. So you can kind of pull those things together and sort of uh, craft a a focused and achievable day each workday. I love that. That's I think that's a very practical tool that probably everybody out there could benefit from. I know that you started your company back in 2013, so you've been around for uh, quite a while, seven years. Um, but you recently went through Y Combinator about a year ago, and I, I, I think relaunched a product or shifted your focus or something like that. Can you talk a little bit about uh, about that shift? Yeah. So. We have kind of a, a long backstory in that my co-founder, Travis, and I, we actually started Sinsama, like you said, seven years ago. Um, and we've always been interested in the same question, which is like, how can you, what's the tool you would use to work kind of thoughtfully and intentionally? And for the first, I would say, four and a half years, we basically uh, built, launched, iterated on and then sunsetted almost six different products in the meeting uh, collaboration productivity space. Um, Just like sort of trying out different variants uh, of problems and solutions and customers. Um, And basically for the first four and a half years, we didn't, we didn't actually build something that kind of took off and, you know, basically we, we, we didn't build something that people really wanted. Um, and then a couple years ago, uh, we pivoted to Sinsama, as I sort of described to you uh, just a bit earlier. And uh, that's when we went through Y Combinator uh, with with that product, kind of when we had sort of hit on the first sort of beginnings of a product market fit. Yeah. So I'd be curious to hear sort of the different iterations that you went through. But why don't you start from the very beginning and just talk about what initially piqued your interest in productivity? Yeah, I think it's the the thing that gets me excited about this space is that I think it's sort of a subset of a bigger question, which is how to live well. Um, and for me, productivity isn't really about can I get more things done as much as it's about can I get the things, can I do the things that I sort of deem worthy of doing? Um, and so I see productivity tools as sort of a, a way to help you answer that question. And so... Uh, the sort of original genesis of the idea for Sinsama started uh, with me and my co-founder, Travis. We had just both sort of graduated college and we had worked our first jobs. And 
just feeling this kind of dread about the fact that we were going to potentially spend the next 40 years of our lives sitting behind computers working uh, and that the best tool that we had to be sort of mindful and intentional about what we were going to do each day with our time, which is fundamentally what we were being paid for, and that that tool was going to be either Google Calendar or Outlook just felt kind of absurd. Uh, and I think that was the sort of the start of what got us interested in actually trying to tackle this problem. Got it. That makes a lot of sense. I think it's a, a very practical thing to tackle. And so take me through the different iterations that you guys went through. What was the original thought when you first founded Sensama? What was that original product? Um, and then take me through the different iterations that you went through to get to where you are today. Yeah. So the the first thing that we started with was basically we wanted to build sort of a more uh, contextual calendar. Um, but we just kept hearing from everybody around us. They were like, don't don't build a calendar. Don't do anything like related to calendars. Like everybody fails. And so uh, I think we, well, you know, hindsight is 2020, but we sort of listened to our advisors and mentors at the time. And we we're like, okay, let's try to take some sort of kind of tangential approach to this. And we ended up going down this path of building kind of scheduling tools. Um, so one of the first things we built was uh uh, AI assistant, you could CC uh, on an email who would schedule a meeting for you. Um, very similar to a product that uh, a lot of people might know, like x.ai. Um, and what we just kept running into there is even though sort of it, it mostly worked, uh, it turned out that like 90% was just never good enough recognition for these kinds of problems when you're dealing with scheduling people's time. Um, and so one of the things we learned there is just like how important like reliability and correctness is. And one one other little fascinating bit we picked up in that product iteration was just like how differently everybody kind of thinks about their time um, and scheduling meetings and uh, that sort of stuff. Um, and so we we kind of pivoted that into a few, few iterations and built something sort of more like uh, Calendly at the time. Um, and that actually, that product had early users uh, and some customers. But when we looked at it, we were just like, this isn't really what we kind of set out to do. Um, like, sure, this has made scheduling easier um, and, you know, it's allowed for more throughput, but it's not really, it's not really an interesting problem to us on sort of a more philosophical level, right? Um, and so that was the that was the one product iteration I think we abandoned that was actually a viable business. Um, a lot of our other product iterations were not viable businesses and not things that people actually thought was a solution to a problem that they had. Um, so that was, that was an interesting one. Um, and, you know, obviously uh, I'm sure you guys have heard, but like Calendly and products like that, I think Calendly is at like a $3 billion valuation. So it's obviously like a huge, uh, business opportunity. So that's, that was one of them. I, I won't tell you all of them because it would be incredibly boring, but I'll, I'll, the, the last one I'll mention is that what we tried to build after that was a meeting documentation tool. So you can imagine it was basically like a full replica of Google Calendar, but when you clicked into any meeting, you could basically uh, take notes in a collaborative fashion on each meeting. So think, you know, Dropbox paper meets your Google Calendar. Um, and that that was another product where we had 
a bit of sort of success with early customers. We had um, users, um, but the the thing that finally tanked that was our happiest and biggest customer uh, one day just downgraded and they're like, you know what, we're just going to use Google Docs. And it was kind of that moment where we're like, yeah, this is like a, it's a good product. Like it does all the things that our customers want, but it's not enough of a value add. It was sort of the, this is not actually sort of 10x better uh, if you want to use that sort of nebulous phrasing um, for for the product, which kind of pushed us to then build Sensama as it is today, which is sort of something we had in, in the back of our minds from the very beginning, but we're in a lot of ways too scared to actually approach it. And I'm actually glad that we took all of those missteps along the way, because one of the really interesting things that happened is with each product and each product iteration, we were able to talk to different types of early users in different companies and different roles in different companies and countries and just get this sort of rich intuition for how all of these different people think about their workday, uh, planning out their work and the tools that they use. And that kind of allowed it all to just sort of coalesce um, into what Sensama is today. Gotcha. So, <laughs> yeah, that was that was quite the journey to getting here. And um, it, it, I'm sure you learn a lot along the way as well through going through all of those iterations. But I guess thinking back to going through all of those steps, what are some things you learned about, um, about developing a product that is actually useful to people and that people actually want? Yeah, I think the the hardest part is building the first like little bit of something that people want. Once you do that, each sort of incremental thing that you do becomes easier and easier. So there's a couple of things that I look for. Uh, for example, like if you've just launched a new product and a lot of the customer feedback you're getting is something like, I need X, Y, and Z before I can use it. That's usually a sign that you probably don't have enough sort of of a quote quantum of utility to, to quote Paul Graham. Uh, to actually get people excited. But when you when you hear the customer feedback start shifting to being something more like, oh, I need X, Y, and Z so that I can like use this product more or for in deeper ways, that's usually a good sign that you've started to hit on something that people actually want. So in my mind, that's one of the things uh, that I look for. The other thing that I, I noticed sort of looking back on our products that like we're sort of total failures versus the ones that were kind of in between is anytime I, as the founder was trying to sell that product to someone, if the words that naturally came out of my mouth were, Hey, could you give this a, a try? Or could you give this a shot? Um, that was usually like an indicator that I actually didn't have conviction that this was really solving a problem. But if I was going, if I was willing to say like, hey, you should pay for this um, or, you know, you should sign up and be a customer. And like if my language kind of reflected my own conviction in the product. So, um, you know, I think building a new product is hard because you need to be sort of delusional that it's going to work while, you know, um, also, yeah, it's, it's just hard. You have to kind of play mind games with yourself, I think. Yeah. And to that point, do you think it was really a matter of creating a product that was better or was it more of just a mindset shift where you had to take 
your your own mindset from you know I, like uh, maybe a, a bit of a lack of confidence of like I'm not sure if this is going to work I'm not sure if people are going to like this to you know like you said just convincing yourself like this is what people want this is what people need and they're going to want to pay for it. I think I think it's a it's a bit of both and they kind of like sort of play off of each other in a kind of self fulfilling loop. Um, but yeah, I think it's just a good indicator or something to pay attention to is like the language you use when you ask people to use your product, basically. It's like, it, it can reveal something about what you actually think about the problem and the product that you have, um, that you may not be willingly admitting to yourself. Um, so I think that, that, that was sort of my point. Um, and, uh, yeah. Got it. Okay. And so I want to talk a little bit more about what, what Sinsama is today. First of all, from a high level, is this a tool that you would typically sell to individuals to use or to companies to use within their organization? Yeah. So right now we have a totally kind of bottoms up adoption approach. So we're sort of like a B to C product that operates inside of companies. So, you know, what we'll see a lot of is somebody signs up for Sinsama and they may even pay for it on the for their first month out of their own credit card until you know somebody in the organization comes along and approves it and you know pays for it for them. Um, so it's it's very much a kind of single player mode because of what sort of the the nature of planning your day is. And if you think about kind of where we fit in with the rest of the tools that people are using at work, um, our customers typically are sort of locked into using tools at work like Asana or Jira or Trello that they use with the rest of their team and organization. Uh, and they're using Sensama to kind of focus in on just the kind of few Jira tickets that they need to focus on today with like the one or two meetings they need to do and the two or three small other to-do items they need to do. Um, so it basically gives them sort of this uh, refuge from having to deal with the hundreds or thousands of tickets uh, in their other services. Gotcha. And I think this is where a screen share would be super helpful. But since we're on a podcast, I'm wondering if you can sort of talk us through the interface and what that looks like. So say I've got, you know, I, I use Gmail, Asana, Trello, like whatever tools people normally use. And I want to have a bird's eye view of all the tasks that I have to do today and then be able to prioritize that. What would that interface look like when I log into Sensama? Sure. So let me, let me try to paint a picture here. So uh, you basically tell Sensama what time of day you like to plan your day, whether that's in the morning or the evening. And so when you open up the app, uh, the whether it's a desktop app or the web app, you'll basically be prompted with a very sort of minimal uh, UI uh, that guides you through a four-step process of planning your day. So the first step will basically show you a list. Uh, so like a Imagine a vertical column of tasks, and then it'll ask you to pick the tasks that you want to work on today. And in the column to the right of that, you'll have uh, access to all of your integrations. So you can toggle between your Gmail, your Asana, Jira, Trello, GitHub, whatever integrations you use, and you'll basically be able to browse, you know, let's say your Trello boards by board or by section or whatever. And Basically, you'll drag and drop the tasks that you want to do from Trello or your email into your column of tasks for today. And one of the really 
interesting things that uh, most of our customers love about Sitsama is that they can basically on each task put a time estimate. And so what happens is when you put a time estimate on each task, it basically gives you a total at the top of the day, giving you a sense of what your workload is. And that is sort of the key to being able to actually set a reasonable workload for the day. Um, because you can say like, oh, I'm already at eight hours of work. I probably shouldn't try to do more tasks. Anyway, so that would be basically the first step. Um, and then I'll skip skip a couple steps. Uh, the final, final step is basically Sinsama lets you then sort of drag and drop those tasks onto your calendar. So especially if you are someone who has uh, a bunch of meetings, for example, uh, it's a lot easier to kind of work through your day if you've actually put your meetings, or sorry, your tasks onto your calendar. Um, it just gives you a better, uh, a more fluid sense of what you can actually get done uh, when your day is kind of chopped up by meetings. Um, and then the last thing we do is basically we, we like auto-generate a summary for you that you can automatically post to Slack to let your teammates know what you're planning to do today. And so sort of as work has gone more remote uh, and asynchronous, uh, we're finding that that's another sort of popular feature as part of daily planning is being able to share your plan with your teammates. So it's hard to describe an entire product's UI um, verbally, but I, I hope that that was clear. If not, I'm happy to clarify. Yeah, I think that did help paint a pretty clear picture. And say I, I have a new task that comes up throughout my day and it's not on my Google Calendar yet. It's not on my Asana yet. Can I also manually input new tasks directly into Sinsama? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So we, we have a lot of people who actually don't use any project management tools and they use Sinsama sort of as a standalone. So you could, if you're, you know, walking to get lunch and you think of something, you can pop open the mobile app, the Sinsama iOS app and throw in a task or whatever. Um, so yeah, that is possible. Gotcha. So considering that you've gone through so many iterations of the product, it, what do you see as the next step for Sinsama in terms of how you want to grow in the future or any additional features that you want to add? Yeah, right now, uh, we're really heads down on just basically making the product faster and snappier and more reliable. Um, one of the things we did as we were building all of these different iterations is we just tried to build things really quickly to validate whether or not we were solving a, a actual need. And this first version of Sensama, the the one that I'm I've been talking about, we actually built it in, I want to say like 18 two-day iterations. So we we basically tried to move really, really fast to get um, just validation around the product. And as a result, there's a lot of you know shortcuts that you take, uh, especially on the engineering side of things. And so now that we have uh, you know thousands of customers who basically keep Sensama open all day long and rely on it as their source of truth, the idea of you know Sensama being slow or glitchy has become sort of unacceptable. So that's that's where we focus a lot of our effort towards the end of the year. Um, and it's kind of thankless work, but hopefully it pays off kind of in the long run. Yeah, I think it for sure will. It seems like a small thing, like just speeding up the site. But I think, you know, in terms of product, I mean, it's a productivity tool and speed is a big part of productivity. So I think that's definitely something people will notice and appreciate. Um, so tell me a little bit more about your experience with Y Combinator, starting with what 
made you guys decide to go through Y Combinator, you know, after uh, sort of managing all these iterations yourself for so many years, what brought you finally to YC? And then how was that experience for you? Do you think it was really crucial in, uh, in jumpstarting you to this current product that you have that's really successful? Yeah. Um, so along the way through all of those different iterations, I would basically, I guess, you know, twice a year, I would fill out the YC application basically because I thought it was a very effective way to clarify uh, my own thoughts about what we're building, why we're building it, and if it would be valuable. Um, So I would just always submit it. And I think early, early on, we got one interview and we were rejected, but I I just kept doing it um, just because I actually liked the the process of it. Um, And then the final time that we, you know, submitted a a YC application and actually got in for the winter 19 batch. Um, You know, obviously it was, it was exciting and it, it turned out for us to actually be totally transformative to the trajectory of our company. Um, So when we entered YC, we had some early revenue, um, but it was kind of relatively flat and not growing. Uh, And by the time we left YC, we had been we were growing like fifty percent month over month, um, and I think if it weren't for the things that we focused on during YC and the things that YC gets you to focus on, um, I don't think we would have figured out how to grow the the business as quickly as we have, um, and I certainly don't think it would have been as easy to to raise the the seed round that we did. Yeah, I don't know how these how big these YC classes are, but I've actually had another YC grad, winter 19 grad on my podcast, Ben Taylor. Do you know him? I do know Ben from uh, Doorport. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They've been acquired by yeah. Point Central, so I think it's Point Central now. But yeah. Ben uh, was actually uh not just in my YC batch, but he was in my like sub sub subgroup. So, he's one of the people I know know best from uh, YC. But the oh, batches wow. are really big. So there's people I've never heard of for sure. That's what I thought. That's why I was like, I'll throw it out there. But I, I don't know if you'll even recognize the name at all. But yeah, for uh, those of you listening, Ben Taylor was on episode five. So go all the way back to the very beginning. Um, he also went through YC and talks a little bit about his experience. I think similar to you, I think he said he applied to YC like six times or something before he got in. Um, and he, I think came from a l- bit of a different place where he was a first time founder, had just started the product, hadn't really experienced, you know, going through different iterations and going through the process of, of running a company. So, uh, I am sure his experience was different from yours, but it sounds like you both were able to get a lot out of it. Yeah, for sure. I think it was, you know, of all of the things we've done in our Sinsama journey so far, I think joining, uh, YC was one of the highlights uh and the things that i've learned have been like they stick with you and i think i i always feel like when i'm thinking about problems now i can i can kind of imagine like oh what would my like yc partner say as i'm thinking through this problem and it just gives you like a different perspective to think through your problems and i think my favorite part about yc is that they focus a lot on why companies fail more than like why companies succeed and try to get you to not make the mistakes that will cause you to fail. Um, And so it's just made me a lot more 
sort of vigilant and diligent about not getting in my own way. Um, Cause I think basically a lot of the mistakes that, you know, we make as, as people running startups are based on our own, uh, our own ego, right? It's like, Oh, you want to hire too fast because you want more people working here. You want to spend more money because it feels good to spend money or you want to kind of ignore your customers and users because you think you're right. Um, and so, I don't know, that was, that was, I think at a psychological level, I thought YC is just so uh, hyper aware of, you know, this idea that you're basically getting in your own way. And if you can get out of your own way, um, things will be easier. <laughs> right. Right. And for those that are interested in applying to YC or maybe have already applied, uh, what words of wisdom do you have for those applying? And I guess taking a step back from that, do you think every startup founder can benefit from YC or what are some factors they should think about, you know, when deciding whether to go through a program like YC or not? Yeah, I think, I mean, I can't think of a reason you wouldn't benefit from it. Um, you know, if you're already a wildly successful company, maybe it doesn't make sense for you to give up the equity in your business. Um, but I don't know. I just found it a really helpful way to actually think about the problem of solve or of building a startup. Um, and so in that way, it's extremely valuable. Um, and to, to answer your first question, what advice would I give? Um, I think I would say, don't listen to people like me who only have basically one data point of like how to get into YC or, uh, how to run a startup. Like I only have my one startup as a data point and instead sort of rely on the, the things that YC themselves have said about what makes for a good application and a, and a good, more importantly than a good application, what makes for a good company. Um, and they have plenty of stuff written uh, on, the, on the internet about that, that I would consult uh, instead of founders who have gone through YC. Um, That's very fair. That's very fair. One more question about Sinsama and your journey to where you are today. And this is something that I'm personally interested in. I've spoken about this on the podcast before, but I think one of the main reasons why I had a failed startup uh, back in 2012 when I started one was because I didn't have the right team. And so I know you talked a lot about your co-founder, Travis. You guys have been through, you know, been together from the start over seven years ago. Take me back to that. How did you find Travis or, you know, how did you guys decide to be co-founders together? And then what are some lessons you've learned in the last seven years of working together with a co-founder that you can share with others? Sure. Uh, yeah, Travis and I, we actually knew each other from college. Um, we had worked together basically on some, uh, like a pseudo summer internship in in Germany where we got to, got to know each other. And we were as, we were there as like a, part of a bigger kind of cohort of students. And we kind of, I guess you would say hit it off and just felt like we understood each other. Um, and kind of tying this into your second question, I think the thing that was made our co-founder relationship successful, at least as far as it has been to this point, is the fact that I think we understood each other on a, on a sort of deeper level, uh, whether that's uh, emotional or sort of spiritual or whatever, uh, kind of philosophical level, um, which when you have that as kind of the backdrop, it makes sort of the sort of mundane, uh, tensions and ups and downs of like, you know, writing code and getting customers and those kinds of things to feel smaller. Um, so I think having that 
kind of shared value system is is the most important part of it. Um, and you know, I think that's that's hard. I don't think there's you meet that many people in your life where you really feel like you you share share values with them and and you respect them kind of on a deep level. But I think if I were to look for a co-founder again, I think that's that's what I would look for, right? And uh, then sort of on the practical end of it, it's like when you have that, it becomes easier to have uh, difficult conversations about how is somebody doing their job? Um, what should we do next? Um, because everything kind of is built out of a, a foundation of that, of, of real respect for that person. So um, hopefully that answers your question. Yeah. Yeah. I think it does. And I know you've got a background in engineering. So would it be correct to assume that you're sort of in the CTO role? And then um, I, I guess what sorts of things are more in Travis's wheelhouse? Yeah. So I'm actually, my role is CEO and Travis is sort of the, his title is chief product officer. We don't actually have a CTO. Uh, I don't know. Maybe we should have one, but you know, that's fine. Um, so. Travis's wheelhouse is basically all of sort of the design of the, the product. Um, and our product is very much sort of feel based, like, you know, it's like the product has to feel right. It has to feel good. And he's the guy who, who figures all of that out. Um, whereas I, I spend a lot more of my time on sort of finding and activating customers. Um, that's more of my wheelhouse. Got it. Got it. All right, take me back all the way back to what's first sparked your interest in entrepreneurship and startups. I think it's just the idea that you're making something that is like there's basically no buffer between you and the value you're creating, uh, which I think is really compelling. Um, so, you know, it's like, customers are going to tell you if they think whatever you're making is actually valuable by paying you or not. Um, and a lot of the kind of early jobs that I had, uh, you know, I was working in like humongous, like I was working for stuff in like the department of defense basically. And it was just like, I just felt so abstracted from the value I was creating. Um, and I found that really frustrating. Um, so I think that's, what's really compelling, um, about entrepreneurship. Got it. So you didn't really grow up around that or you didn't know, you know, in going into college or while you were in college, even that you were going to start your own company one day. It wasn't really until you experienced the other side of it, of being in a, a large, not even a large corporation, but maybe like even a government, you know, which is even more extreme than a big company in terms yeah. of the bureaucracy and stuff that you started yes. realizing those. So my like first several like internships were in these like really big bureaucratic things. Um, um, but one of the early internships I had was at a startup uh, in uh, the the Bay Area um, that, you know, I kind of stumbled across through some family connections. And that was the first one, but I hadn't had any other experience. So I didn't really know how good it was. And then I kind of went to these other things and I was like, oh, like whatever those guys were doing over there, like, or they're like actually like talking to their customers and building something from the ground up that's really cool. And like, while the work I'm doing on these like interesting mathematical models is really sort of intellectually compelling, it's, it's not very compelling in a human sense. Cause I feel like I'm not actually making something that people want. Um, so 
I think it was the contrast that drew me to uh, that, to, to the idea of working on a startup. For sure. And uh, I, I don't know if this is something you actually want to talk about, but do you want to talk about walk back at all? Yeah. Um, that was a project that one of uh, me and my best friends in college made. Um, basically, I'm trying to man, really put me in a time machine here, but uh, basically we would get these like uh, email alerts from the university, anything like anytime, like some sort of like uh, crime happened on campus. Um, and so we were like, oh, that's, you know, that's kind of upsetting. It's like, it's upsetting to know that like you're, you're leaving a, a party with your friends. And, you know, obviously in college, there's a lot of sort of drinking and other forms of debauchery. And you know, like, it's kind of upsetting that you feel like you're not sure if your friends are making it home safe at night. Um, so we built an app basically that uh, you could bump your like iPhones together. And as soon as you did that, um, you would basically be linked until your friend got home. And once they got home, um, you would get an alert, like whatever, uh, Susie just got home and then the connection would end. Uh, so that was basically what that product was, but that was, that was the first time I actually sort of, uh, built something. Um, and I think, I guess maybe my first sort of entrepreneurial, uh, venture. And I think that's when I, I kind of got a liking for like, oh yeah, it's kind of fun to, to build something. Yeah. That's awesome. Cool. So outside of work, tell people a little bit more about who Ashtosh is. What do you like to do? Uh, who are you as a person besides, you know, being ultra productive and helping other people be productive too? Yeah. Uh, I feel like I'm going to give you a boring answer, which is I don't really see much of a distinction between my, uh, my work self and my life self, if you will. Uh, I'm sort of still in, interested in the same sorts of questions that I ask uh, that sort of guide us to building Sensama in my personal life. So I'm also reading books related to those kinds of things. Um, but okay. On the more kind of practical notes, uh, things that I like to do, I love playing basketball. Um, of course it's been like a year now since I've really played basketball because of the pandemic, which is, a uh, you know, disappointing, uh, to say the least, but I'd say that's like my number one, like, outside of the home activity is like, if I can just play basketball for a few hours, I'm a, I'm happy. Uh, so. Yeah. You just gotta like bring a hoop outside your building or something. You probably live in, do you live in like a high rise or a condo building or something? Yeah. I live just... in a condo. There, there, there are some, uh, like basketball courts nearby that have been open on and off during the pandemic, but sometimes they like shut, shut down the rims. Um, so but my, my knees are getting too weak to be playing on hard courts and, you know, I need that soft wooden floor. <laughs> no, I gotcha. Yeah. I hear a lot of the public basketball courts that they've taken the rims down and the nets, but I've actually, I've actually seen people out like bring their own rims and nets and hook That's them legit. up with like a ladder and hook them up there just to play for, you know, a couple hours and then take it down wow. when they go home. I know those are, the, those, those are the real ballers out there. Not people like me who say they like to play basketball. Wow. That's, <laughs> that's commitment to the cause. Um, it is. I mean, in this day and age, like you, a lot of people don't have anything better to do really than, 
you know, haul a ladder out with their with their rim and yeah, hook it up to and be, play some. To be ball. fair, this uh, this year I did go to a basketball bubble with a bunch of friends from YC. We rented a house in Utah, and uh, that had a basketball court, and we all took a bunch of COVID tests before we got there, uh, and then we played basketball for a few days. So that was the one time I got to play during the pandemic. That's awesome. I, I wonder how common that is because, um, my, so my family, my parents are in Toronto and my sister's in New York. So we decided to get like a big Airbnb house out in the Northeast for Christmas for a week. And we found a house with a full basketball court at first. And we were so excited because we were like, well, we have to quarantine. So it's not like we can do anything, but if we have a basketball court inside, that'll keep us busy for, you know, half the day yeah. at least and they canceled on us unfortunately oh, no. so we didn't get it i know i know but outside of, i never i had never heard of a house with a basketball court in it until you just brought that up so i i wonder if there's actually a lot of people with basketball courts inside their houses yeah we we found a number of them on on vrbo and airbnb so they're they're out there for the for the true ballers out there bringing your hoops to the to the court, know that you can have the luxury of a, of a house with a pool and a basketball court for a weekend. <laughs> Ooh, and a pool. That's real luxe. <laughs> All right. So thinking back to your whole journey to get to where you are today, what would be your number one piece of advice that you would give to say yourself 10 years ago or somebody who's just getting started and wants to be where you are today? I think I'd say just be patient. Uh, and that it's going to be really hard to be patient, um, but you know you're going to make your you're going to make your own mistakes, and the ma- mistakes that you make uh, are what you'll learn from. And sometimes you just kind of have to make make mistakes and and fail along the way. And there's there's nothing really wrong in that. And it's funny how once things start working and clicking, uh, you look back on your mistakes and you're really thankful for them and all the things that went wrong. Uh, so, you know, be patient, I think is the advice I would give myself. Um, because certainly as a, a young, younger, uh, more energetic person, I wanted everything to, to work right away. Um, and I, I just, I find more and more that that's not the reality of how things of consequence and value are really built in the world. They take a lot more time than you would think, even when you know that. Yeah, it's funny. I just had this conversation with another guest on the podcast about, you know, sort of the same thing, but more thinking in terms of the long term instead of the short term. And I think that's really hard for a lot of founders to do because I think as a founder, you have to be somewhat impulsive and impatient to a certain degree to want to do something like that, you know, because you're probably somebody that really likes to get things done and affect change and things like that. And patience probably isn't a top virtue for many founders. So I think, I think that's, uh, that's, that's a tough lesson to learn and it's tough skill to gain, but for sure, if you can figure out how to be patient and think in terms of the long run, that'll pay off. Yeah. The other trick to that is, uh, for me, my co-founder is incredibly patient. Um, and he's like the long-term side of the, the, the founder relationship and the, super impulsive, uh, like extremely impatient one. Uh, so it turns out to be like the right balance because you need, you need both of those forces kind of simultaneously to push things forward, but also realize like, if you want to succeed, it's going to take, you know, five years, 10 years. Um, so yeah, it's hard. That's, 
That's awesome. That's awesome. Okay. So before you go, Ashutosh, I like to end every episode with a fun little game if you're up for it. Sure. All right. We can play the word association game or we can play this or that. And it's your pick since you're the guest. Uh, let's go with this or that. Okay. Here we go. So I've got 10 sets of words. I'm just going to say A or B. You tell me which one you prefer. No explanation needed. It's going to be super quick, rapid fire. All right, let's do it. Okay, first one. Plane or train? Plane. Hot or cold? Hot. Night or day? Day. Beach or mountain? Beach. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Freedom or stability? Freedom. Books or podcasts? Books. Bootstrap or fundraise? Fundraise. Past or future? Neither. Got to pick one. <laughs> the present. Future. That's what you're after, the, the present. present. Future. Okay, that's fair. All right. Last one, work or play? Play. Nice. Good job. That's it. Pretty painless. Right. How did I do? What's my grade? A plus. A plus <laughs> plus. <laughs> All right, cool. So before you go, Ashtosh, tell people where they can find you. Tell people where they can learn more about Sinsama. Sure. Uh, the best place to find Sunsama is uh, sunsama.com. That's S-U-N, like sun in the sky, S-A-M-A, S-U-N, S-A-M-A. Um, and then if you want to find me, just find me on Twitter. I'm out there. Um, hopefully not tweeting too much, though. What's your handle? Uh, it's at the Priyadarshi, which is incredibly hard to spell, I, I admit. But that's T-H-E-P-R-I-Y-A-D-A-R-S-H-Y. Okay, awesome. I'll add this to the show notes so people don't have to be taking notes during this episode. <laughs> go find go find Ashutosh on Twitter. Go shout him out. Say hi and go check out Sinsama. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Ashutosh. I really appreciate your time. And uh, I, I look forward to seeing where Sinsama goes in the future. Cool. Thanks for, thanks for taking the time to chat, Diana. Of course. Thanks so much. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Startup Happy Hour, sponsored by Content Allies. If something we said today resonated with you, please share our episode on social media and sign up for our email list at startuphappyhourpodcast.com. Happy Hour doesn't have to end just because this episode is over. Continue the conversation with us at startuphappyhourpodcast.com or on Instagram at startuphappyhour.com.